Pop quiz time, everyone. Disney management experience or motherhood, which do you think is a better training ground for exceptional leadership? Find out on this episode of the Enough Already podcast. And welcome to the Enough Already podcast. This is the show for consultants and coaches who want to forge their own paths to success in their businesses, in their careers, in their lives. I'm your host, Betsy Jordan. I'm a business mentor and a brand messaging strategist for remarkable consultants and coaches and their unique strengths. You can find out more about my programs at www.betsyjordan.com. So I'm really excited to have Valerie Cockerell on the show today for so many different reasons. So she is a leadership consultant. She's a former Disney leader, and she has an amazing book on manage, managing like a mother. I think that one is right. You could tell me, Valerie, when we got when I formally introduce you. So the thing is, for consultants and coaches, we are in the business of developing leaders. But for many of us, we're also parents. And a lot of times, we don't see the connection between how we lead our kids and how it can translate to how we lead in the workplace and vice versa. So Valerie is gonna unpack this for us. Leadership is her family business. She's also the daughter-in-law of former EVP of Disney, Lee Cockrell, who I did have back on the show in episode 43. But Valerie's unique. She's got a very unique take on leadership and you're gonna love everything that she has to say. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Valerie. Well, hello, Betsy, and thank you for having me, and thank you for this great introduction. I am so excited to have you on the show for so many different reasons. So the name of your book, it's Managed Like a Mother, not Managing Like a Mother. That mm -hmm. book title in itself turned my head big time. But before we get into your book, I would love for you just to share a little bit more about your background. So I know you were raised in France. Somehow you made it to Disney. Somehow you made it to Florida and working at the Disney Institute. Can you connect the dots around your background? Well, I, uh, as you mentioned, I was born and raised in Lyon in the southeast of France, and um, I was a very curious child and curious teenager, and I wanted to travel the world. And I very quickly realized if I want to travel the world, I better speak English. So when I graduated from high school, I moved to London as an au pair, worked and lived uh, with a family for about a year and a half, perfected my English, came back to France, finished my studies, and I um, manage, I actually learn um, about uh, the hospitality industry. I've got a hospitality degree, which is uh, the business side of hospitality. And when I was done with this, somebody mentioned that Disney came to Paris once a year to recruit for the French Pavilion at Epcot. So I applied for that, was fortunate to be selected as part of the fellowship program, which does not exist anymore, but I did that for a year. And you were given the opportunity to do a rotation in the different departments of Disney and live in the U.S., you know, in Florida for a year. And then I went back home and, um, you know, for some reason, I wanted to work in a bank. I thought that was my career. That was my calling. And uh, quickly realized I wasn't built for this. And then one day I got a call from Disney and they said, you know, in 91, that was in early 91. And they said, in 92, we're going to open a park in Paris. We'd like to hire you. You understand Disney. You understand American culture. And, uh, and you speak English, so we'd love to um, for you to join. And literally, Betsy, it took me about three seconds to say, yep, yeah, where do I sign? <laughs> you know, And they sent me back training in Florida. I came back to Paris for the opening of the park. And that started my, that kick-started my career with Disney. And what I did for them is uh, initially the first half of my career, I managed uh, retail locations. 
for the Disney organization, both in France and then in the US, I shifted towards assortment. Uh, so I was in charge of the assortments for Epcot and also for the Disney Cruise Line, which involved a lot of travels, which I enjoyed. But then very quickly, we had two kids and I realized that, you know, I miss my children and I want to be home with them. So I stopped working for Disney. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, my father-in-law worked for Disney. My husband worked for Disney. So I was still very connected with the organization. And uh, once I got a call from Disney Institute and they um, had a group of 600 people from the Canadian insurance company and 200 of these people only spoke French. They were coming for training, a one-day training, and they needed somebody who could facilitate in French. So they reached out to me and I said, yes. I said, no, that'll be a one-time thing. But one time thing got to another and another and another and so on. So I started working on a contract basis with Disney Institute, traveled quite a bit to Quebec in, in Canada. I also facilitated Disney's approach to leadership and customer service, both in Florida and in California. And then in 2018, about you know five, six years ago, Dan and I, uh, my husband and I decided to leave Disney. And we started consulting with a variety of organizations. A lot of work, about half of our work is abroad. So we did extensive work in Croatia, in Australia, and in Brazil. And uh, and here we are now. And uh, it's been an interesting journey and love every bit of my career, every stage of it. And it's been challenging and very rewarding at the same time. So it sounds like you have a very, very inter big, big time international background, but it also seems like one of your big um, career successes is when opportunities present themselves. You're just like, sure thing, I'm going, I'm game. Like, have you always had that open mindset, you know, throughout your life? Or is that just something that, you know, you saw over time? Like, where did that come from where you were just open to opportunities? Like you said many different times, like, oh, they said, yes, sure. It took me two seconds. You're getting ready to move to Australia. And the decision-making process, it seems like it took about that much time. You know, so like, how is it that you have this adventure, this adventure say yes to things type of mindset? Where did that come from? I, maybe I never outgrew that curious child that's that's uh, that's inside me. You know, I I think the world is so big. There's so many things out there that interest me, and I I feel still today. You know, I'm well into my fifties, and I'm I'm just curious about what the world has left to offer and what lessons are there. And I quickly realized that you know you never you never know it all. You you keep learning, and I love that challenge. I do realize, though, that for some people, it can be very unsettling, and I, I respect that. I have my my sister who lives in France, and she's always lived within 10 miles of where she was born, and that's her comfort level, and that's what she likes, and that's what she enjoys, and I totally understand and respect that. Um, however, this was not meant to be my path. I, For me, it's oh, I like change. I thrive with that kind of challenge and differences. And now more than ever, I realize that differences, learning about differences make us just smarter and uh, better. And I think we live in a world where things are so complex and complicated and change so fast that unless you keep educating yourself and learning about the, those differences and surround yourself with people who bring those differences to the table, different point of view, perspective, um, talent and skills, 
we need that to survive today. And I think it's, it's more important with, you know, since the internet and since with globalization, with climate change, with the, the rate of the pace at which technology is changing, if you're not open to differences, it's really hard, hard to keep your head above water. So for me, this is what appeals to me. This is what I'm, I feel there's so much more out there. Every time you open a door, there's like 10 other doors behind that give you a whole bunch of other opportunities and possibilities. And I'm very comfortable with that. And again, I totally respect the fact that for some people it's unsettling and they don't like this and, and that's okay to reach their own. But for me, just... Tell me where and I'll show up. <laughs> so when you were choosing to work with Disney, was it the the industry that Disney was in? Was it about Disney itself or was it just the opportunity to learn something new in a different culture in a different country? All of the above. Um, you know, for me, when you grow up in the 60s, 70s in Europe, the U.S. is that beacon, beacon on the hill. Is that how you say Um you know, that place that is the the hub of culture, music, movies, lifestyle, you know, everything about the U.S. is cool. And I had suddenly was given the opportunity to come and live in Florida for a year. And, you know, you're in your early 20s and like, sure, I'll do this. And then there is the Disney name behind it, which is, you know, everybody knows Disney. And it wasn't as prevalent back then as it is now I think I saw my first Disney movie I might have been like nine years old and that was Pinocchio and I remember that um, so it wasn't on TV the way it is now and, and readily available the way it is now uh, but I knew it was a great organization and um, and also learning from you know being in an American company I thought well that's going to be something great to have on my resume and it's interesting because I remember when I went back to France after Disney and I went to work for a bank, I got my job at a bank because Disney was on my resume. I remember right. the, the people who interviewed me, they were like, you work for Disney. What what did you do? And I said, well, I lived in Florida and, and it was totally unrelated to the job I did for the bank. Maybe you could account for the customer service approach, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, it catches people's attention. And also, I think it says something about young people when you're willing to go to a different country and and learn a new culture and adapt and uh, and take chances that way, take risks. Maybe that's what made me an interesting candidate and, and convince people to hire me for a job that was totally unrelated to my Disney experience. Well, and I think that there's a lot of things that Disney offers that it's hard to explain to other people who haven't been at Disney, like how it all translates, because people think it's like, oh, it's just all pixie dust and magic. But it's like being in working in operations like you and I did is like, it's a very strategic organization. There's a lot of thought goes into everything, research, you know, there's a lot of things that Disney does, but Disney does not do anything just like off the cuff. Like it's a lot of strategy. And I think those are amazing skills that we develop that we can translate otherwise. So when you were leaving Disney to in 2018 to start a business with your husband, what was it about leadership that was drawing, was that teaching leadership and speaking about leadership and being a leadership consultant? Why was that interesting to you? Again, I think it was the idea that 
when maybe when you work at Disney, especially in Orlando with 75,000 employees, you're very insulated. You know, you are, Orlando is the hub and the big destination for vacation. So between Disney and its competitors, this is the hospitality industry is at, at in the heart of Orlando. At, actually, Orlando wasn't, you know, there wasn't much to it until the hospitality industry and the theme park came to town. So for me, I I realized that we were very uh, insulated in in with Disney, and I was curious to see what was going to happen once we are consulting with other organizations. And I realized, you know, we always joke is there's life after Walt Disney World, and indeed there is. Mm-hmm. And ironically, Dan and I thought that the vast majority of uh, consulting business would be primarily in the hospitality world. And as it turned out, it probably is 15% of what we do. And what it taught me was, which I was very well aware of when I worked for Disney Institute, is that what works at Disney applies to any industry, no matter the the size, no matter the location, and uh, whether it is in the hospitality industry or not. And as it turned out, Dan and I, our biggest clients are uh, shipping companies, uh, accounting firms, and uh, realtors, and um, colleges, hospitals, you know, that kind of organization. And that came as a surprise, but we thoroughly enjoyed that part. Because frankly, I think we taught and shared as much as we learned from our clients. Uh, because these are worlds we've never operated in. And it was really eye-opening to see the similarity uh, the challenges that we all face, you know, leaders, no matter where you work, we all have the same challenges, the same roadblocks, uh, the same lack of confidence sometimes. And and being able to share the Disney, and as you said, you know, Disney is very uh, purposeful and intentional about everything that is done within the organization. Uh, nothing is just um you know uh, impromptu it's all very much architected so you know teaching that and sharing that with other organization and individual has been something that um has proven very uh rewarding for us and and we think very uh, helpful for our clients i think that that's been one of the fun things like people would ask me all the time like why would you leave disney to work with other companies cuz like you know and it's it's hard to explain cuz it disney is the best i worked with the best executives i didn't work that close i wish i would have knew you i didn't know you when i was at disney um i knew your husband and i definitely knew your your father-in-law quite a bit cuz we did projects together but there was there's something about the opportunity to learn all the different industries, all the different countries, you know, all the different things. Like I love showing up. I remember like the trepidation. I landed a client in London and I didn't really know them. And it's like, had that trepidation. It's like, no, but I get to know everybody. Like I get to know this company. I get to know this country. And that's what's fun is scaling the principles and not necessarily just regurgitating the Disney stuff. But it's like, now how could I apply what I know? But then how do I integrate it with everything else? I think that that makes it very unique. But I want to talk to you a little bit more about your, um, not now like we, so we talked a little bit about your your formal leadership experience, your consulting experience. But you wrote a book about motherhood and the connection between motherhood and leadership. And so, what? Tell me about your that part of your life. Like, what? How old were your kids when you decided to leave Disney and focus more on 
your kids before you went to Disney Institute, how long you were, were you in that role of primarily focusing on your kids? Well, that was in the early 2000. Um, at the time, I had worked on the Millennium Project at Epcot and working with, I was in charge of the assortments for all of Epcot. So we had, I had all the pavilions and a lot of third parties, as you know, run some of those merchandise locations. And my job involved a lot of travel, uh, going abroad to the to market, to the trade shows. And we had two young kids at the time. And it, it just, you know, I reached a, a point where I really was, I was carrying that guilt of this is my career and I'm enjoying it, but I have two young kids at home. My husband worked in operations, so we had to rely on nannies and babysitters. And there comes a moment of reckoning when you wonder, you know, we're having other people raise our children. Yeah. And that frustration was mounting. And literally one day, my husband came to my office. Uh, my office was right behind the, the Hollywood studios at the time and where the DDG group was, and uh, what, that's the Disney design group. And he came to my office and sat down and he closed the door. And I said, oh, what what brings you here? And he said, you know, I know you're unhappy and you, you carry this guilt. And he said, if you want to leave, um, you can do it. Disney will still be here. You can come back. But if you want to give it a try, you could stay home for a while and see what happens. And Betsy, I kid you not, I stood up and I went down a couple of doors down and gave in, turned in my resignation. And they were a bit surprised going, what happened? You know, did something happen? I said, no, but if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. I'm going to carry this guilt with me. So I gave my resignation. I said, look, I'm going to stay two months to help the, the, the next person who's going to take over my job and then I'll be out. And we'll see what happens. And I was terrified because I thought, I'm going to stay at home, mom. Um, in my mind, I was thinking, oh, I'm, my life's going to be Tupperware meetings and, yeah. you know, <laughs> school uh, PTA duties and everything. But uh, so I quickly filled my agenda. I mean, I signed up with every class, everything I could. And I realized, well, actually, after a while, it was great. And then we had our third child, uh, Tristan, the youngest, was born and... So I stayed home for about 10 years, a little over 10 years. And then when they became teenagers and they start, you know, marching at the sound of their own beat, um, yes. I felt the need. And actually, I wasn't even looking for a job. That's when Disney Institute called. And I'm like, okay, I'll help you out. And and then when they offered to, for, they actually offered me a job um, full-time. And I said, no. And they said, what about part-time? And I said, no. I said, and they said, what about contract? I said, okay, I'll do contract work because I wanted to stay, you know, have control of my life. And uh, that's how I went back to work. But it was interesting because I stopped working twice during my career. When we relocated, we were, Dan and I met in the U.S., but we worked in Open Disneyland Paris and we were there for five years. And then when we relocated to the US, I stopped working for a while just so that we could get settled and then started working and then stopped again uh, before I worked for Disney Institute. So every time I worked and went back to work, uh, well, every time I stopped and then went back to work, I remember thinking, do I still have what it takes? Mm -hmm. Am I still relevant? Are my skills still updated? And I really suffered from a lack of self-confidence, just, you know, second guessing myself, which is not unlike most women, by the way. I think in general, we tend to 
hesitate a lot more. We we tend to underestimate our own um, abilities, our own skills, and how much we can contribute to the workplace. So all of this happened. And then when I started thinking about the book, it occurred to me that, you know, actually those years that I took off work and stayed home, during that time, I managed to use this very self, the very same competencies that we use as leaders. And I realized that instead of having team members, I practiced my leadership skills with my kids. And it, it was kind of this, you know, uh, revelation, if you would. Now, at the same time, my father, you know, who you mentioned earlier, um, often he, he had a long and very successful career. He still does, actually. And he always said how much he learned from his mom. And I, mm -hmm. I kind of put all of that together. And the, the third thing, which I, I want to say is I grew up listening to my mother saying, if, I wish I was 20 and I knew what I know now. And my mom is 91 and she still lives in the southeast of France. And she still says, I wish I was 20 and I knew what I know now. In fact, now she says, I wish I was 40 and I knew what I know now. Yeah. Uh, but, and I, I used to roll my eyes when she would say this, but now I feel exactly the same. So obviously we can't rewind the tape and go back, but what we can do is maybe, you know, pass our knowledge and skills and experience and learnings to younger professional, younger people, people who may be struggling right now and they don't have to learn it the hard way, the way I did. And maybe if I can share some of what I've learned over time, you know, I'll feel better. I can't, I can't go back. I can't be 20 again, but maybe I can help somebody who's 20 right now and or, or somebody who's starting in the leadership position, not knowing, you know, how they're doing and not knowing and having a lack of confidence and, and second guessing themselves. So that for all these reasons, that's how the book um, came about. I love what you're saying about like, even just not compartmentalizing who you are, like who you lead, how, how you led at Disney influence how you parent. But then I imagine, you know, going through that 10 years also influenced when you went back to teach at the Disney Institute and then eventually had your leadership consulting business that you brought those lessons in. So you're like one person and, and valuing both parts, even though society does not value the 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 parenting stuff like when i left disney i thought i think everybody thought i was insane i was i was uh, leading the basics project which was about to go global i think it's still taught at the disney institute um everywhere and everyone was looking at me like i had 12 heads you know like why would you ever leave this project i'm like well i have these two young kids at home and i think some of it is is that there isn't that value but i love that you came to that point of seeing the value of those 10 years of being at home you know, was it just something that, you know, over time you started just because you started talking about it more like, or when did you start to really see that it's like, wow, there's like parenting is an amazing leadership development experience. Like, when did you get that? Like, aha, uh -huh, you know, that aha, uh -huh. like when did that became super crystallized in your mind? Is there a moment or was it just over time? No, I think, I think I learned that over time, but I realized that when you struggle with something, usually what helps most is by going back to basics. Let's start taking care of the basic things. Um, 
And therefore, when when I hesitated going back to work, I was thinking, okay, let's start from the beginning. What do I need to do uh, with my team members? If I'm given a team, I need to make sure I get to know them and I train them and I create an environment of trust and I communicate properly and I set expectation properly and I reward and recognize them. And then I give them feedback when they need it. So once I started going over those very simple leadership principles, I went like, well, this is what I've been doing for the past 10 years with my kids, right? The very same things. And I tell you what, I think in my book, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel here. I'm not trying to revolutionize the, the leadership world. Um, Everything I'm talking about in the book is very simple. It's very common sense. But I think that's also why it is effective because we tend to overcomplicate things. If you listen, and as I'm sure you do, to you know keynotes, TED Talk, or you read books about leadership, I think in general, we tend to make it more complicated than it needs to be. Yes. You know, let's take care of basic things and let's and then things will will be you know it's going to do 90% of the job for you if you take care of those basic principles and you know finding the the inspiration and realizing that you know when you raise your kids you use that every day you don't even think about it it's almost instinctive which by the way leads to an entirely other question and maybe we'll we'll develop that a little bit later but i think Mothers are uniquely prepared to take on leadership position because of that. And that begs the question, why do we have so few women in leadership positions? Uh, because I think they're very prepared for this. They've practiced their leadership skills and we don't always recognize that. And when you see the resume, you, you, you know, you, you worked in HR, uh, you see the resume of somebody and there's a gap of five years or 10 years. And usually there's this, you know, crickets, you know, people try to skip over it. Well, let's not hide it. It's actually something valuable. I took time to take care of my family and raise my kids. And I got to use the very same leadership principles that are going to be useful in my future for the rest of my career. And I think we, sh we should make it, women should be, uh, you know, instead of hiding it, uh, is saying like, yeah, this is what I did. And uh, first of all, I think it's, it's a wonderful thing to do. If you so choose to do it, I think you should not be penalized for it. And quite the contrary. In fact, you should be rewarded for it because we should recognize the fact that by taking yourself out of the workforce, first of all, it gives you time to regroup, to reset, to find your sanity again, right? And then it gives you the opportunity to really think about your leadership skills, but through the lens of being a mom, because when you deal with your children, you really focus on what you're doing. You, you want the best for them. And you want them to be given the best opportunities in life and you give them, you know, you reward them and you give them feedback every day, right? You, and you train them, you teach them skills. So you do this. Now let's take all that learning and apply it to your team members when you start working again. And, and the same thing, the same basic principles you would naturally instinctively do for your kids. That comes real handy the, the day you're back in the workforce. Yeah, there's a couple of things I want to I want to um, follow up with you on that. 
you know, at, you know, talking about the first part is like, well, why why is it that there's not as many women in leadership? I Several years ago, I did a whole series on high achieving women and burnouts. So I did a bunch of research, a bunch of webinars. I did a group coaching. And in the research, a lot of it is, is like the workplaces were are not really designed to support the way women think and the balance needs. Like you and I both left because it's like, well, I'm burning at both ends. And it's like, there's that guilt. You know, because men don't have that same thing because biologically men are wired differently. Mothers are wired differently. You know, so if you, so that, that's where like in the research I did, it's like a lot of women are, are opting out because they need more balance. A lot of women are leaving high pressure, high achieving roles because our biology just does not support it. Like extra responsibility requires extra testosterone. We make a fraction. And we, and, and we are more genetically set up in a certain way to be like more like mama bear kind of thing around the kids. And so that we have a guilt that, that is unique. How do you solve for that? Like based on your experience as a leadership consultant, like if you were going to advise, you know, consultants and coaches who are advising to organizations, how can you change the culture to make it more friendly for high achieving women who are trying to have it all their way? What would you recommend? Well, there's a couple of things here. Um, first of all, I'm I'm not I w- I want to, you know, set that out. That first of all, women don't. I'm not trying to say that women are better leaders than men, but I think they bring a difference, and they can complement the style of leadership. And we all know now that the type of leadership that I say and you do doesn't work anymore, especially nope. with the, the younger generation that work that come in the workplace. Um, that's not what works. We know that what works is a more nurturing approach. So women have that and they have that uh, instinctively. Now, the thing is the workforce today, number one, uh, first of all, in terms of logistics, we don't make it um, easier to work from home and things have changed quite a bit since COVID. It's been a silver lining in the process because I think companies have been, have had to be a little bit more flexible, make it easier for, for women to work from home, um, to maybe work on their, you know, uh, their own schedule and offer more options for childcare and more opportunities. And I think more and more we see men choosing to stay home instead of women which is interesting. My husband and I, we always talk about it. When we made that day, I walked out of my office and gave my resignation. At no point in time that day, did we ask ourselves, well, what about if you, you stopped, you know, working? It wasn't even in my it mind. Even- it wasn't in his mind, but not, not even me. It never occurred to me. And yet at the time we were about similar level at Disney. And you could have argued that maybe I would have had the same wonderful career that he's had. Um, but you know, it was just a different of, of generation. So first of all, the the logistic of life with you know for mom has to be made easier, and there's many ways to do this. But I think also what's happening right now is you know when you get to executive position, I think uh, it's about 22 percent are women, and so when you recruit for a leadership position, they look at experience instead of skills. And if you look at experience, well, since there's more men in leadership still to this day at about 65% men, 35% women, automatically your pool of candidates will already be skewed towards men and women will be already, you know, uh, at a disadvantage. 
So I think when it comes to HR, what's important is that we start looking at skills and talent, and we look at this um, and give more priority to this than experience. Because if we always favor experience, you know, it's mathematic. We'll never have uh, the 50-50, you know, the parity in the pool of candidates. And then I think that women among themselves have to help each other out. They really have to um, support each other, develop each other, mentor each other. And, and I think men can do it too. And I, and I think men need to recognize uh, that women have are uniquely prepared, mothers specifically are uniquely prepared to be great leaders because of that nurturing instinct. And here's what I always say, when people see my book and they say, oh, manage like a mother, and they think, oh, okay, well, that's going to be a book for women. And I say, no, it's not only for mothers and it's not only for women. And because we all have one thing in common, we all have a mom. And whether that mom has been perfect or imperfect, we have been on the receiving end of mothering. We've all been kids or teenagers at some point, right? And let me give you an example. If your mom did not set expectation clearly and you were 16 years old and your mom said, don't come home too late, well, what would you do? You'd come home at midnight, maybe one o'clock in the morning, because for you, midnight and one o'clock was um, acceptable. When your mom actually was hoping you'd be home by 10. And the next day, your mom comes back and says, well, I told you not to come home too late. How come you come home at one? It's well, it was just one o'clock. So mom did not set the expectation clearly. So then you take advantage of it. We've all, I've done it. I'm guilty as charged. Now in an organization, you're the leader. You don't set the expectation clearly. People will put their own interpretation and then they will deliver what they think or what they hope you've been asking for, what they want to understand, Right. So what credibility do you have? You can't, you know, you, you can't uh, discipline them or you can't give them feedback about this because you haven't set the expectation clearly at the beginning. So what I'm hoping is that if men read my book, they will think, you know, the, the stories I tell, because by the way, every chapter I tell a story of something that happened with my kids. So they may not be able to relate as a parent, but they may be able to relate as a child. You know, once in once a while ago, you were a child or you were a teenager and you've been in similar scenario and you've learned all those lessons. So think about all this. Think about how it feels when your mom tells you to do something and she doesn't practice what she preaches. How did that feel? You know, that felt very unfair. That felt, you know, that made you mad. That made you angry. Well, same in an organization. If you expect something from your team members and you don't demonstrate, you don't you don't say what you what you you know you don't practice what you say, they will call you out. Or they they may not call you out because you're the boss, but they're gonna say like, well, you know, what's this woman being a leader here and she's not practicing what she preached? So that's the you know I'm thinking that will help men understand the value of you know, of being a parent, being a mother and educating kids and how the similarity between the two, for me, it is so obvious. I was actually surprised when I decided to write a book that nobody had thought of it before because it's so evident, uh, evident to me. 
you know, and it's a, an easy to grasp, like kind of um, environment, you know, rather than theoretical, like, oh, you have these direct reports. It's like, well, you got these two kids and they're fighting over a cookie. What are you going to do? You know, similar versus in the organization, you have two departments fighting over these resources that you could have something that everybody can grasp and understand. So it sounds mm -hmm. like that your book is something that would be a helpful tool for people who are learning to develop their leadership skills in the organization, but it also sounds a little bit like it's a helpful parenting manual, you know, especially for people who've gone through leadership development training to apply it. Like one of the things, like, as you're talking, I'm like, gosh, I wish I would have had that book because I don't, I wasn't a leader at Disney. I was a consultant at Disney. So mm -hmm. I brought my consulting skills to my parenting, which didn't always work, you know, or I remember when my, when my daughter was a baby and I was trying to like, get my brain around, like, what do you do when the baby cries in the middle of the night? You know, I'm like, well, I'm an OD consultant. I'm going to do a process map, you know, like, is the baby crying? You know, like, if yes, go this way, you know, <laughs> check is the diaper wet, you know, if yes, you know, and I would do these little flow charts. I'm like, oh yeah, that's how it is. You know, and I would lead these meetings with my kids, you know, like, all right, let's do this. But my discipline, you know, at, because I never really developed those management skills and setting expectations, you know, and following through and being very clear. I'm one of those vague parents, you know, like, you know, just do, you know, clean up your room. I'm not being very explicit, you know, like, so it seems like that I would have loved that book because it would have been some way that would make sense to my corporate mind on parenting and how to yeah. apply it, especially if you didn't have, um, you know, there's, you know, parent, parent training, when you're having babies, you learn how to give birth, but nobody really teaches you how to be a parent. Seems like it would be beneficial both ways. Am I accurate on that? Or is that? Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny you say this because when I started writing the book, I actually wrote it in both directions. So parenting to leadership, leadership to parenting. And I wrote the first three or four chapters um, and then you send it to a publisher. And their feedback was, you know what? They're both great ideas, but... If you're trying to tell both directions in one book, people are going to be dizzy. It's, it's going to be really hard to do. And again, my thought process writing the book was to try to make leadership simple or, or at least offer something that was simple to implement. And I thought, you know, I, I just need to go in, in one direction. And maybe the, the other book will come further down the line. But the most obvious one for me was going from, you know, being a mother to being a leader. Because that's the way it's, you know, I felt it the most for me after those 10 years, you know, I dedicated to my kids. This is where I really saw the difference. Uh, but it, it's interesting because that's how the book started. And I went back and eliminated all the leadership to mothering. And I said, okay, we're going to table that for now. And we'll come back to um, uh, really focus on being a mom and, and what it says. And for, for the sake of storytelling also, I wanted something that is easy to implement. I tell you what, generally as a consultant, and also we both keynote speakers with my husband and we've done workshop and I've sat through many keynotes and, and seen incredible speakers with very inspiring stories. But often after the height of listening to the stories and, you know, you feel inspired and everything, but then you go back to your desk or your office or your project and like, okay, well, what do I do with that now? You know, right. how do I put that in practice? So my thought was like, let's make this book very simple so people can actually 
relate with the storytelling, they can connect and really understand the, those very basic points. And most of them, like I said, I'm not trying to bring reinvent the whole thing here. Is just people want to connect and then say, yes, I've experienced something similar, something very close to that story with my mom or with my kids. Now, let me learn from this. Those are the learnings and, the, and let me implement it. The idea for me was always to get the end result is let me give you some tools that you can do something with. I don't just want to entertain you or inspire you. I want to give you some tools. And I think we all, you know, all the consultants, that should always be the point. What is it? It's true for me. This is what it transpired. This is how it transpired. This is what it helped me do. And I want you to have that tool you can do something with. Yeah, so your book does a couple things then. It's, it really validates for people who have taken time out of the workplace to recognize and validate for them, like, yes, my experience at home serves my career. I'm not stepping away from my career. I am furthering my career by making this choice, which I think then men or women or however people identify can make the choice to stay home with children or make other choices to say this will serve at some point it will all serve and will all all be a development experience and it seems like it really goes along with your curiosity to begin with like you're you know making meaning out of things and you know learning new things is also a part of it and it seems like this other thing that the book is going to create huge value for people is let's just get away from all the theories i think it would be overwhelming to be a leader today you know, you can't go on LinkedIn without seeing this advice and this advice and this advice. And it seems like you're just boiling it down to say, if you've, if you've been in a home or you've been a parent, you have ideas on how to have leader, how to be a great leader. And you don't have to, you know, read everything and study all of these different latest competencies and, you know, and all of that, just bottom line it, make it, make it simple. And yeah. maybe, in the future, you know, you're, you know, like you're, when you were talking about, like, you want to do from both angles, I'm picturing like, you know, that 10 little pigs book about like one half of the book, they were dirty and the other half, they were clean and you flip it upside down, uh -huh. you know, like maybe your book, you're going to have the book is like manage like a mother. One side will be about how you apply it to the workplace, mm -hmm. but then the flip side is how you apply it, the workplace yeah. to home, yeah. you know, yeah. and not do like, you know, process maps like I did around, you know, when the babies are up in the middle of the night, you know, which people made fun of me for, but it's like, you know, I can't take, you could take the, you know, the girl out of the OD workplace, but you can't take you the know, organization development consultant out of the girl. You know, it's funny because there's a chapter in my book about time management. And I say, nobody, nobody can beat a mom when it comes to time management because, you know, multitasking and getting, you know, your one, two, three or four kids out of the house in the morning, it takes organization. So I think I always said if they were, if time management was an Olympic discipline, moms would have the gold medal. They would be the dream team every time, hands down. Um, but there's many, I think there's many things that we do again, instinctively as moms, we don't even think about. I'll give you two examples. Uh, the first one is when you teach your kids how to eat, talk, walk, um, here's how it plays out. You know, if you teach a child how to walk, you're going to take your baby by the hand, you're going to both hands initially, and you're going to take a couple of steps for a couple of days. And then one day you're going to let go one hand. And then after a couple of days, you're going to let go of both hands and the baby's going to take a couple of steps. 
and land on his rear end. Typically, seldom do children just take off, right? What happens at that moment? As a mom, you don't tell your baby, hey, what's wrong with you? You're a year old. You should be walking by now. No, what, you, what a mom does is say, great job, bravo, let's try that again. And then mom takes the baby's hand again and walks again with the baby until the baby has the confidence and the balance to walk by himself or herself. And then maybe the baby decides, you know, I want to be crawling for another week. And that's fine. And then if the baby cries when he falls, mom will pick up the baby and comfort the baby and make sure that he gets, you know, that, that he gets his confidence again. Think about all those things you've done instinctively. Now look at the training program that you put together in your, with your team and you, you have a new team member. Do they have the opportunity to fail? Do they know it's okay to fail? When they fail, do you encourage them? Do you celebrate progress the way you would do with your baby? Do mm -hmm. you give your hand out again to support them and help them uh, through the learning process? Are you willing to extend the learning process if need be? All of those things, you do those things instinctively for your kids. Now just take that and apply, you know, uh, you teach your children how to drive. You don't bring them on the highway during rush hour on the, the first, you know, outings. You take them around the blocks in the neighborhood on the quiet road so they can get confidence. Same thing. You're not putting one of your team member. You don't throw them in the middle of the fray with none of the skills or very little of the skills that are required. So, you know, all this, um, all my bo book is doing is saying like, remember that? Now, um, you know, apply it to the workplace. Um, same thing with feedback. We all dread giving feedback, right? Now think about it this way. As a mom, you give feedback every day. You don't wait for Christmas to say, hey, Betsy, you misbehaved this year. Uh, since June, you haven't been doing your chores. You haven't cleaned your room. You've been antagonizing <laughs> your siblings. So there's not going to be any Christmas presents for you. Yeah. Of course not. You don't say that. You, every day, you tell your child, you know, here's what you're doing and this is not appropriate or this is not, you know, acceptable, et cetera, et cetera. And you know what? You do all this and you still love your child unconditionally, right? You do it out of love because as a mom, you want your child to be the best person uh, they can be and give them the best chances in life possible. Now take that apply to the work uh, workforce. You talk to your team members, when you give them feedback, it's a gift. I'm giving you a gift because I believe that you have the ability to be better. And I believe that you can achieve great things. You can, I believe you can achieve my expectations. And I know you're a great person and I'm here to develop you. This is a positive thing. This is good. And when you approach giving feedback this way, it's a lot easier on you. And it's a lot more, a lot easier for the person to receive. Okay, she's here not to tell me that I'm a, you know, I don't perform well and, and it's all negative. She's here to make me a better person. And that, I tell you again, something you do instinctively with your kids, now apply it to the workforce. And I have 20, 21 chapters in my book. Every single chapter, it's just that basic, but it's just uh, shining the light on things that, Co that connect the two, the mothering and the leadership. And hopefully you can find some very basic and easy answers and solutions that you can implement 
uh, at work every day. You know, when I'm hearing you talk about that, I, it seems like if you could bottom line it is if you can, uh, if you can want what's best for the people that report to you and come from that place, that's a huge first start. Because what you were talking about, when people give feedback, sometimes like people hate feedback because the leader isn't always giving feedback because they care, like a parent cares for a child and wants what's best for them. The feedback comes with tons of judgment. You know, it's vague. It's not like the other day you said this and I, I'm telling you how to do it differently so you could be better. It's more like these vague generalities. Like I, that's why I hate when people rate someone against competencies and say, all right, your performance is against a competency. That's just too generic and it feels shaming rather yeah. than, you know, the other day you did this and I'm going to tell you this because I believe in you and I want you to be the best version of whatever this job is. And it seems like it comes from the heart first of like, I want what's in the best interest and I'm not going to shame somebody, you know, for not performing to some vague standard of some kind. Yeah, um, and so and I'm sorry, that's just one thing I want to add that's to summarize this. You're absolutely right. And, you know, giving feedback is not about judging character. It's about changing a behavior. So there's a big difference between telling somebody um, you're arrogant or you said something that was arrogant. Because when you say to somebody you're arrogant, it's there's something very definitive about this. It's something that happens. It's just a general statement that happens all the time. But when you say to somebody you said something arrogant, first of all, it is based on facts, on a specific thing. And it's a one time that you've noticed it. And then it leaves the door open for the opportunity to improve, right? Right. So there's a difference. And you know, I haven't I'm not a I haven't been a perfect leader and I haven't been a perfect mom by any stretch of the imagination. But I I do know that when you tell a child, you know, you have that kind of general statement, you don't have much credibility because there's it's not fact-based and it's very demeaning for them if you just blanket you know, everything and, and you make that blanket yeah. statement, uh, oh, you arrogant or you lazy or no. Uh, what about saying, well, you did something that you you didn't put your best efforts for that specific, you know, project. It forces you to be specific with your statement. And that's something that's very important when you give feedback to somebody or recognition for that matter. Or even better is instead of saying, you know, even the other day you were arrogant, it's like the other day you said that and it made me feel, you mm -hmm. know, and this is what I prefer. Like, just keep it at the behavior. And I think that that's what we try to do as parents. And I think that that translates. Um, so where can people buy your book and where it can is, they find out more about you? Um, it is the, the book is available in all, um, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Target, um, it's on, um, uh, there's also, the, I don't have the audio book yet. I've been taught many, told many times. And, you know, like uh, you mentioned, we're in the process of moving. There's a lot going on the beginning of, of the year right now. So I will get to it eventually. I think, I don't know if I should be because of my accent, I'm a little bit, you know, lacking self-confidence about recording the audio book. So I'm, I'm hoping maybe to find somebody, uh, somebody will be willing to do it for me. And, um, but the book is available just about anywhere, Kindle also, um, and you can download it on Amazon. And um, otherwise I can be found at cockerelconsulting.com. Uh, and uh, on there, there is a page uh, that's we've created, Manage Like a Mother. On there, there are some 
podcast. It's a limited series that I'm doing, mainly getting more in depth in on topics that I wish I had developed a little further in the book. It, you know, writing a book is always interesting because there's about a year between the time you're done and the time it's being published. And during that year, you keep doing more thinking. There's a moment where you have to cut the umbilical cord and just let mm. it go. And then you start thinking, oh, I wish I'd done this. Oh, I wish I'd said this. So I could develop more of this theme. So I'm, I'm starting to record some podcasts and discuss those uh, additional themes. And then there's also on the uh, Manage Like a Mother page, um, there are some uh, Manage Like a Mother minutes, which are little three, four minutes uh, topics that I think there's about 12 or 15 of them. I'm probably going to record about 24, 25 that people can download and listen to on specific topics. And also I am harvesting stories uh, from people who are willing to talk about one thing they've learned from their mom and that impacts the way they are as leaders. And yeah. it's been really interesting. I've, I've reached out to people, to a lot of friends that I'm starting to receive their contribution and the, the range of the stories are really interesting. Some things are very funny. Some things are very profound. And um, I think it's fun to to hear all these people with different stories and all these learnings. And you realize that every mom, no matter where they come from, what country they live in, they all have their own personal wisdom to share in in their own very special way. And uh, that makes it, I think it's very entertaining. In in fact, in the book, there's I also added, there's about 50 quotes that were given from me, from friends, girlfriends of mine um, from all over the world. And those are simple quotes that teach you, there's some from Japan, Morocco, Brazil, Mexico, literally everywhere. And doesn't matter what language, they, the power of, uh, the words of a mother are really, uh, uh, really impressive. So, so maybe that's going to be your third book after you do the one about maybe. how to, how to, <laughs> how to parent like a leader, and then it's going to be the international language of motherhood or something along yeah. those lines. That's really fun. Um, what else do you want to tell me about motherhood leadership and even di even Disney leadership? And I'm just not asking you the right questions. I don't know. We've covered a lot of ground here. I, I tell you, I think um, reflecting back on my career and what I've done, I think, and, and maybe we're circling back to what I was saying at the beginning, I think the beauty of how much this world has to offer and the beauty of how much more we have to learn. And I think if I had a word of advice for for people in general, but specifically for young people, is you know go out there and get uh, experiences in a variety of places, a variety of jobs, of experiences. Um, meet people from different um, uh, different backgrounds. There is always, always a nugget of wisdom and a takeaway that will enrich your life and make you a wiser and better person in the end. And Whenever I hear anything that that equates to, you know, being isolated or people who are set in their ways and not willing to, not even changing, but even 
accepting different point of views and diversity and and uh that that scares me because i think we are you know it's like a, a cultures that uh, inbred is i'm not sure uh -huh. if that's how you say uh -huh. eventually they become instinct and for me i think the only way to to continue to thrive in this very complicated world is to continue to educate and be curious and ask questions i've, I've always said that to my kids i i remember uh, our three kids worked. They used to have a program at Disney where you could work when you were under 18 and you had to work in horticulture, which is not exactly a glamorous job, uh, at least what they were doing at the time, because don't get me wrong, horticulture does a phenomenal job, especially at Disney. What they do is tremendous. But they had this this little summer program where they would hire um, teenagers and they would go and weed and mulch every day from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. in the middle of Florida summer. So I'll let you imagine. And our three kids did that program for about eight weeks. And I remember my daughter uh, sometime going like, I don't know why I'm doing this or why I'm learning there. And, you know, maybe six years later when she was applying for jobs, it was on her resume. And she said to me, mom, my resume is way longer than than most of my peers. And I said, yes, because you had, you, you know, we insisted you had a summer job every year. And uh, she said, yeah, and everybody asked about that Disney job. And I said, yes, because D people know Disney. So they relate to, you know, they see the name, they recognize, and they know it's a terrific organization. So they ask you about it. So, and I said, besides, you got up and showed up at work every day at 6 a.m. That says a lot about your personality. The fact that you are resilient and you're hardworking and you're willing to get up and show up on time every day. I said, that's a big, you know, that's a big thing on your resume. And she said, you know, well, I never thought about it at the time. And I never looked at it this way. I said, yeah, of course. So even in that kind of experience, there is, you know, you learning something and it says something about your character. So I always tell young people, just go out there, try things. Even if, you know, of course, you're not studying to go mulch and, and, and uh, weed uh, every day, but you know, in the end, it's good learning. You learn something in every job. So just go for it. Yeah. I feel like as we wrap up our conversation, it feels like that that's the theme, you know, it's like, as you stay in learning and as you stay open to learning, you'll see that everything that you have in your life serves and that you may not always know how it all comes together, but it all does serve. Like, you know, I have a, you know, I have a BA in history. I have a master's in organization development. I have over 30 years or almost 30 years. I can't believe I have 30 years of anything in organization development consulting. But that's not what I do now. I'm a brand builder for consultants and coaches, but everything that I did in my previous career serves me, you know, all the, all the good sides, all the bad sides. So when it comes to your book, it's like, you know, whatever it is that you have, whether you spent a good part of your life parenting or maybe building things in a garage, mentoring other people, it all counts. And I think that that's what your secret sauce was, is that when you were second guessing yourself, when you're going back to work, you were like, hey, wait a minute, that served. And you got curious about it. And now it turned into a book and now it turned into an international leadership development consulting firm, a keynote speaking and all kinds of things that you have. So it's been unreal to have you on the show. I wish I knew you Thank when you. we were back at Disney, but I am blessed that I get to know you now. And everyone listening, I I just, I'm so grateful that you are here. I have more amazing people like Valerie scheduled to be on the show. So be sure to hit subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss out. 
And as we sign off, just remember to be you and all that you do because you are enough already. Thank you so much for being on the show, Valerie. Thanks, Betsy.